Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to be talking about Miriam Booth. She was the daughter of uh, Bramwell Booth and his wife Florence, and she was the granddaughter of William and Catherine Booth, the founders of the Salvation Army. Now, there's several things that make Miriam a little different from some of the other Christian leaders that we've talked about. For one thing, Miriam didn't live very long. Miriam spent a lot of her final years in pain and sickness. In fact, when I've presented her life before, I've entitled it Peace and Suffering. We don't like to think about suffering. We don't like to think about pain and declining health and death. And yet, and yet, these are things that are pretty much inevitable that at one point or another we'll face or someone we care deeply about will face. And too many times we look at people that are sick and we would point at them in our in our minds and think, well, you don't have enough faith to pray to be healed or you've done something wrong to bring that on yourself or, well, if you just did like you should do and claim these scriptures and pray this prayer, you'd be healed. And we don't know that. And so one of the reasons why I want to present the life of Miriam Booth is to encourage all my listeners who are out there and you're sick. Maybe it's just a temporary thing. Maybe it's something that the doctors tell you will be with you the rest of your life. My sister was sick for many years. My mother um, developed cancer and dementia and died in hospice care. And I know that these subjects are unpleasant and uncomfortable and they're sad but we need to face them, and we need to know, as I said, I've titled this before, that through Jesus Christ, we too can find peace in suffering. So let's go ahead and jump in and talk about who Miriam Booth was. As I mentioned, she was the daughter of Bramwell Booth and the granddaughter of Salvation Army founders William and Catherine Booth. She was born June 8, 1887, as the third of seven children. Now, her full name was Florence Miriam Booth. She was named Florence after her mother, whose name was Florence, Florence Soper Booth. But her family called her Mira. Now, Miriam was born in a very interesting time in her family's history. She was born during the time her mother was beginning her work among the prostitutes of London. Now, we can't talk about Miriam without talking about her parents. Uh, Mrs. Bramwell Booth was born into a well-to-do family and chose to join the Salvation Army because she agreed with their cause and she agreed with their message of salvation. If I recall correctly, her father was a dentist. And Mrs. Bramwell Booth, by all accounts, was a very good mother with a youthful enjoyment of life. And she thoroughly enjoyed her children. She thoroughly enjoyed them. She enjoyed spending time with them. And uh, she was a very beautiful woman. Although most of the pictures you see of her, she will be in the Salvation Army uniform. Like her husband, Bramwell, the Salvation Army and its purpose of reaching the lost and helping people consumed her entirely. And 
she was very passionate about that. Now, Miriam's dad was Bramwell Booth, and he was um, his father's right hand uh, for many, many years before his father passed and Bramwell assumed control of the Salvation Army. He was practically his father's right hand. He participated as soon as he was old enough, he participated in everything that his father did. He had the same, the same goals, the same vision, the same passion for reaching the lost. He was hardworking. If anything, Bramwell was too hardworking. He was dedicated, and he was truly, truly committed to God. And he was also known for being very sweet and gentle. Now, that's a neat combination to have for a dad, isn't it? So that gives you a little bit of uh, the family background for Miriam. All right, so let's talk about Miriam's earliest years. When she was born, <coughs> she was born into the Salvation Army. She was kind of drafted, it would seem, and her baby clothes had the red embroidered S on them, symbolizing the Salvation Army. And when her mother would be praying and working the altar, she would take little Miriam up there with her, and she would lay one hand on the person that she was praying for and the other hand securely on little baby Miriam. And, you know, it's, it's cute to, to read about her early, her early years and some of the interesting things they encountered. Um, in one instance, they were holding a, a campaign in an area then they had been invited to stay at someone's house, but the house they were staying in hadn't had a baby in 100 years, literally. And so um, Florence had to improvise a little baby cradle, and she made one out of an empty drawer, a pillow, and a couple of chairs. But she improvised and got it to work. Now, when you see pictures of the Booth family, the Bremwell and Florence Booth family in their early years, you see the little girls dressed. Uh, the older ones will have on a Salvation Army bonnet usually. And somewhere in the picture, you're probably going to see tambourines. They were active in the song service, uh, and they have on Salvation Army sashes. Well, when little Miriam was less than a year old, she contracted the measles and whooping cough, and that is serious, especially for such a young baby. And she did recover, but Florence had a real struggle spiritually with this, with, of course, being torn with fear that she was going to lose her baby girl, and then being brought to the point, would she still trust God if she did lose her baby girl? Would she still be able to love and trust God if he took her child? And she concluded that she was, and the baby did get well and recovered, so, so all turned well. Now, her mother later commented about her in a letter saying, Baby is very sweet, so long as everything goes her way. But she shows a will of iron when crossed. You know, I think that could probably be said about a lot of us, but that's a cute description of a little baby, Miriam. Now, Miriam was seven years old when she was saved under her grandfather's preaching. Um, her family made a point to not try to pressure the children to... Um, make a decision for Christ. They took them to church. They exposed them to the things of God. They told them Bible stories. They read scriptures with them. They sang hymns with them. 
but they left it up to the kids to decide, and indeed, Miriam did decide to give her heart to the Lord at that young age. Now, as a kid, the Bramwell and Florence Booth home was full of fun, including pets, rabbits, guinea pigs, mice, cats, turtles, and more. And the children were responsible for their care. Every day they had, as part of their chores, they would go and take care of the various pets they had at the moment. And Miriam was responsible for the guinea pigs. Now, one thing that I always like about the the Booth girls, and this is starting with Catherine Booth, is you see a love for animals in the girls and in the boys too, but especially in the girls. In one instance, the children, Bramwell's kids, Miriam and her brother and sister, they were walking down uh, the a road and they saw this old, old horse that was struggling, trying to carry a large load of turnips. And they just couldn't bear the sight of that horse struggling. And so they volunteered to help carry some of that load and worked as a group to help that horse get its load where it needed to go. And they did this out of compassion that came from their hearts. And so the kids were taught compassion for animals, and as we'll see later also, compassion for people. Now the children in the home, they were free to romp, they were free to play, and they were free to imagine to their hearts utmost content. And one of the things they kind of liked to play was church. That's only natural. Miriam was known to preach to her dolls. And she often ended her services by having her dolls come to the front to the penitent form. Or what we in uh, many of our churches here in the United States, at least, would call the, the altar. And so her dolls would go to the altar and pray through and she would pray for them. Now, one of the things that I really do like about their mom, she was very active in the ministry, very passionate, very consumed with it. But she always set aside time in the evenings just to be with the kids. Nobody else, just the kids. And they said sometimes she would be playing with them and other times she would be reading or working on needlework and the kids would just be there at her feet enjoying her presence. You know, a lot of times we think when parents think when they're engaging with their children, they just have to be there and it has to be active and all of that. Sometimes the kids just appreciate their parents just being there. And so she always spent time with her kiddos and she received an inheritance from her family and she used that inheritance to hire a nanny for the kids and they called the nanny Zazie. And those kids gave that poor nanny a run for her money. Um, not that they were bad. They were just kids, and kids are naturally curious and mischievous. Well, Miriam's mother, um, she homeschooled the kids. She was very concerned about their education, and that's something else. The Salvation Army was very keen on education. Now, a lot of the people uh, that would come and begin to work and minister with them, a lot of them were not educated and they didn't know how to read, but they were taught how to read. They were taught how to study their Bibles. They were taught the basic things that they needed. And so education was important. Now, as far as what kind of a student Miriam was, the problem her mother had wasn't trying to get Miriam to study. It was trying to get her to stop because she was just 
would get caught up in it. It seemed anything she put her mind to, she was determined that she would master it if it killed her. So that's the kind of student that that Miriam was. Well, let's talk about how Miriam got started in the Salvation Army work. From her teenage years, Miriam spoke and prayed in the meetings. She was active. She was an excellent public speaker, especially for one so young. And it was not unusual for Miriam to be able to speak before crowds of over 1,500. And that was before she was 16 years old. Miriam had a message from the Lord that she wanted to deliver, and she did. Um, She was very good also at leading prayer meetings, and she seemed to thrive in a crowd. And with a picture, as I'm, I'm sharing my notes with you, I'm looking at a picture of her in her Salvation Army uniform, and I'm struck by her, her dark eyes and the intensity that you can see in her eyes. And she's wearing the classic Salvation Army uh, bonnet, the Salvation Army uh, pin at her throat. And she was de- determined that she was going to follow in the footsteps of her parents and her grandparents and try to reach as many people for the Lord as she could. Well, um, as part of their preparation for the ministry, her parents sent Miriam and two of her siblings to Germany to live with a German pastor for a few months to help improve their command of the German language. And the German pastor was horrified when the Booth kids showed up in their Salvation Army uniforms which they wore every time they left the house. And he was even more horrified that they insisted on attending the local Salvation Army Corps. To me, and apparently to them, it only made sense that that's what they would do. Well, this pastor was very disapproving of this. He didn't like them doing this, and she didn't want to put him in a difficult spot. She didn't want to embarrass him, so she contacted her parents, and they gave Miriam the okay to make some other lodging arrangements for herself and her siblings. So she got them lodging in a hostel where they were around other people that most parents would rather their teenagers not be exposed to. Now, the neat thing about this is Miriam was really committed to God, and Miriam wanted her life to please God. She wasn't a teenager in rebellion uh, against her parents or against God or against the system. She wanted to please God. She loved God, and she wanted to help people. So she set the example for her siblings. And through Miriam's example of praying and seeking God and living right while they were in that hostel, she was able to lead people to the Lord rather being led astray. And that's very unusual for a teenager. That's very special that Miriam was able to accomplish that. That tells us how deeply rooted her relationship with God was. Many times we hear about a child that gets saved and we think, oh, that's just temporary or we don't pay any attention to it. Well, apparently when young Miriam got saved, she really got saved. So, Miriam saw to it that she and her siblings had regular prayer, that they attended all the Salvation Army services, and witnessed to as many people as they could find, all while improving their command of the spoken German language. 
Now, you may be wondering why why do they want their kids to learn German? Well, it was very common for Salvation Army officers to be sent to different countries and rotated about every seven years. So, in all likelihood, one of them at least would end up serving uh, some time in Germany. So, they got through with their training in Germany, and they um, come back to England, and Miriam enters her officer training. And there, she was highly respected by her peers. Now, I think this is sweet, guys. Miriam knew that a lot of the young ladies she was working with did not know how to study. They might not even have much education. So she would study with them and help them with their classes and make sure they knew how to study. And she would encourage them when they didn't do well. And she would try to help them. So she was there. It seemed like every area of Miriam's life, she was determined that she was going to serve others on behalf of Jesus. And she, wherever situation the Lord put Miriam, she was going to find a way to help somebody. Now, she made the highest scores of her graduating class. And her peers were... Uh, the majority of them were very pleased for her, and they actually carried her through the halls on their shoulders. Now, Miriam had her struggles. One of them involved her dad and her granddad. Um, When she was in training, one of her jobs was selling copies of the war cry. Now, you may be wondering why the Salvation Army would sell copies of it were they trying to make money. The answer to that is not really. They found that people were more likely to read something they had paid for, something they had invested in. And the goal with the war cry was not just to pass them out, but to get people to read it. Because inside, there were testimonies of people just like the ones reading it. There were Bible studies. There were sermons. There were songs There were things to draw them to the Lord. There were things to convict, to encourage, to deal with people. And so they would sell copies of the war cry. And one of um, the jobs of officers in training was selling copies. And this became really hard for Miriam um, because she was the granddaughter of the founder and the daughter of Bramwell Booth. At the time, they were being slandered in the press. And you guys know what it's, you know, you know how it is when the media decides to attack somebody. Many times it seems like people will just believe anything. And they, it's like, I hate to put it so crudely, but it's kind of like sharks with blood in the water. And so As Miriam was going around selling copies of the war cry, she would hear people saying, well, I don't want a copy of that. William Booth is a thief. Or, well, I don't want a copy of that. Everyone knows Bramwell did such and such and such. And these things were not true. And she would stand up for her dad. She would stand up for her granddad. Uh, She wouldn't reveal to anyone who she was. People didn't realize they were talking to uh, someone related to the Booths. But this, this hurt her deeply. She was a very sensitive, compassionate soul, and that hurt her. And that was something that she had to deal with and something she had to struggle through. 
Now, during the same time, the Lord really began to deal with Miriam in a deeper way. We've already seen the depth of her relationship with God, where she was able to go into a situation where most young people would definitely be led astray, and instead she was able to win people to the Lord. And that speaks to a very mature experience in the Lord, and yet the Lord wasn't done with her. And this is something to remember. We hear about people getting saved when they're kids, and too many times we have a tendency to just kind of blow it off or you know well that's that's not the same as getting saved as an adult and yet we forget that the lord deals with us as we get older and we develop uh as we mature as people we can mature as christians too if we listen to the lord and heed the lord and there's many different experiences that we have with the lord during our lifetime and that's what happened with miriam the lord began to deal with her in a much deeper way in short this is how miriam felt this is what miriam felt like the lord was saying to her she was to be as ready to stay as to go to be silent as to speak, to endure as to act, and to suffer as to serve. And by this time, she was probably in her uh, late teens, early 20s. And she said that she prayed over this, and she told the Lord, I'll do it. I am willing Something happened to her after she made that commitment to God. And Miriam said she was able to triumph over the jealous, vindictive actions of others. And that's like the hateful words that people would speak about her parents. The ugly way that other officers would treat her, thinking she was getting special treatment because she was uh, General Booth's granddaughter. She was able to get victory over it. Now, that is a very deep consecration for a young person to make. And knowing the direction that her life is going to take, it's very serious. The Lord was very serious about this. To be as ready to stay as to go, how frustrating it would be to have your entire life you've dreamed of going and working for the Lord and traveling to different places in the world to carry this message only to find that you have to stay put or to be ready to speak and tell people about the Lord and have it overflowing out of you only to have all your means of talking with others suddenly stopped or maybe a longing to be a person of action and to take control and to do good and to accomplish good. And instead you find yourself just trying to endure a single day at a time. Or maybe in your heart you have this willingness to serve. You want to serve others. You want to help others. You want to strengthen others. And yet you find yourself suffering where you can't reach out to others. You can't do the things that you want to do. And even though your motives are good and pure, the doors are closed. And it may be that the doors have been closed through circumstance, through illness, through medical problems, through things completely beyond your control. 
And yet this, this is what I feel is one of the major messages that comes from Miriam's life. In spite of all of that, that is still serving God. It is still serving God to be ready to stay instead of go. It is still serving God when you're forced to be silent instead of speak. It is still serving God when we have to endure suffering instead of being that person of action we'd like to be. That is still serving God. It is still serving God when we have to suffer through illness. That still is a service to God. And it is precious in his sight. Amy Carmichael, I believe it was, once said that sometimes the most difficult act of obedience is staying still when you don't know why it's necessary. And she pointed out those serve not only the ones that go off in the mission field not only the ones that go into the ministry not only ones that work in missions and outreaches but also those that stay where the lord has placed them and it may be a place of pain it may be a place of sickness it may be a place of suffering but to stay there and obey god is every bit is precious to him and that's one of the big themes that I see in Miriam's life. And that is what I see in this consecration. It was as big a sacrifice. To stay. And to endure. And to suffer. And to be rendered silent. As it was to go overseas. Into the mission field. But that's what the Lord dealt with her about. And she said okay. Now. She also talked about struggles with loneliness. And this is not uncommon among Christians. There's no shame in feeling lonely. That's not a sign of weakness. She missed her parents a lot. They were very busy working and she missed them and hardly ever saw them. And she wrote a lot in her diaries or in her writings about the struggle with loneliness So don't ever be ashamed if you're struggling with loneliness. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's actually very common among Christians. Well, shortly after an evangelistic trip to Germany, Marion became very, very ill. And it was the day that she had looked to for years when she would be commissioned as an officer in the Salvation Army. Just because she was General Booth's granddaughter, things weren't taken for granted. She had to meet all of the requirements and go through all the training. And finally, finally, she was going to be commissioned. She was going to get to go up on the platform and receive her officership and get her orders to go to Germany. And that day came... And her illness took a turn for the worse, and it would be 18 months before she could get her health back. I cannot imagine her disappointment. That had to be so disappointing. And there had to be the question of, why, Lord, why? Why wouldn't you let me do, why wouldn't you let me at least get my orders and my officership and go through the ceremony, Lord, why? she was faithful to God and she trusted the Lord. And even when she didn't understand, she knew that the Lord was in control and she was willing to follow the path that he laid out for her, even when she didn't understand it. Now, during this time, 
she became engaged to Gordon Simpson, and he was her childhood sweetheart. And it's really sweet and touching, their love story. He had been visiting the Booth family as a child. He was a friend of one of her brothers, and they had asked him to pray during their regular prayer time. And young Gordon was used to praying by himself, but he didn't ever pray much in front of people. And he said, to be honest, he'd never really felt the Lord very close when he had prayed. And he was terrified. And he tried to speak, but nothing would come out. And he was so embarrassed and scared. And all of a sudden, Miriam's voice piped up and she finished his prayer for him. And Gordon said that was the first time in his life that he had ever felt the presence of God. When he heard Miriam's prayer, he felt the presence of God. And that night, he knelt down beside his bed and gave his heart to the Lord and became Christian. And he loved Miriam from that time on. And he, too, had experienced a similar call to consecration. And he, too, had studied to be a Salvation Army officer. And during her illness, Gordon was appointed to South Africa and knew that there was a good chance that Miriam could pass away before he would ever see her again. And he was torn. He loved Miriam, but he also had a call. He wanted to go back and see Miriam, and yet he had a responsibility and torn. He spent the day in fasting and prayer before God. And the next day, without him saying a word to anyone, he was sent revised orders that took him right where Miriam was recovering from her illness. I think that's neat. That he took it before the Lord in fasting and prayer, and the Lord intervened and sent him back where he could be with Miriam. Now, he never spoke a word to Miriam about his feelings for her. He spoke to his father, and he spoke to her dad, And they told him, initially they felt it was better he wait until Miriam completed her training. But remember, she completed her training, but then she got too sick to finish up. She got too sick to receive her officership and her orders and to go through the ceremony. And we know that her health went downhill after that. And so then her dad asked him to wait seven years. I'm sorry, he asked uh, Gordon to wait until her health improved. So Gordon waited, Gordon waited seven years and finally told Miriam that he loved her. And to his delight, he found out that Miriam loved him too. Isn't that sweet? So they were in love. But then Miriam became ill again. And she was sent to a hospital in Switzerland. And after she was there for a while, they sent her back to England because she was not getting any better. She was only getting worse. However, just as she was about to go back, there was a terrible storm that broke, back, uh, broke out. And it was going to make travel unsafe. But they were afraid if they didn't get Miriam moved from Switzerland to London, then they wouldn't be able to move her later. That gives you an idea of how weak and how sick Miriam was. And Miriam was basically brought home to die. But she lingered. Um, She could only speak to Gordon by letter. And she was concerned for the impact 
that her illness and what seemed like her impending death was going to have on his work for the Lord and on his ministry. So she told him the engagement should be broken because she was never going to recover. And Gordon refused. He told her he didn't care. He didn't want the engagement broken, whether she recovered or not. So what was wrong uh, with Miriam? What were these health problems she was struggling with? Well, it all began with an abscessed appendix. And after surgery, it needed a drain, so they inserted tubes. Something went wrong, and that led to blood poisoning and even more abscesses. And every time they would open an abscess and drain it, another abscess would form. And the wounds, they would not heal. And so they decided to remove the tubes from the wounds. And then the infection just got worse. So her young body was literally racked with infection. And this is a quote from the book that was written about her. Finally, there were five deep open wounds, excruciatingly tender, which required probing and dressing twice daily. While to relieve the system, she endured the exhaustion and the distress of being tapped over 30 times. I'm not sure what that means, but it doesn't sound pleasant. So Miriam was in pain for a matter of years. Years! She refused morphine. And she did it because so many of her converts had struggled with a morphine addiction, and she refused to use something that her converts could not. Isn't that incredible? She became an invalid, and this was a real trial for an extrovert like her, someone that had such big dreams for the future, and it seemed like so much potential, someone that could speak to a crowd of 1,500 without a problem, that could lead a prayer meeting, and you'd say, Lord, why did you let her be trapped in a sickbed? I don't know. But she never complained. And she rarely cried. Now, she did cry, and sometimes she would talk about the pain she was in, but she tried not to. Instead, she worked very hard to be brave, and she tried so hard to be grateful for all the help that others gave her during her illness. She was a, just let's face it, she was a sweet, unusual girl. And what an example for us. Now, part of her illness took place during World War One. And she was in London during World War One, which meant she was homebound during the air raids. I that had guessed that has to be scary, guys, to be trapped an invalid in a sick bed with air raids going on, and you're in the heart of London. Well, she persevered. Now, you remember I mentioned her childhood nanny Zazie that her mother had hired using inheritance that she had received. Well, Zazie often served as her nurse, and Miriam would be very open with Zazie, and she'd say, oh, Zazie, darling, I feel almost as if I must give up, and I wish it were all over. And Zazie would ply, but Mira, darling, think of the great blessing you are to us all. And Miriam would say, but sometimes I am so tired, so weary of the pain, weary of trying to be patient, weary of everything. But I do have so much to be thankful for. And there may be people listening right now that you know that feeling of being weary of the pain and weary of trying to be patient, weary of being so tired. 
uh, my late sister would complain that she was just tired of being tired and tired of the sickness. And that's natural. Not a thing in the world wrong with that. Now, Miriam, she believed in divine healing. The Salvation Army believed in divine healing. And she prayed to be healed, but she was not healed. And this is what Miriam had to say on that subject. I can only feel that God is teaching me that the highest form of faith is to trust His will and His love to be the best and to submit myself to Him. This is the only way to true peace and the peace that passeth all understanding. I must leave the matter there. Isn't that an interesting point to be made that The highest form of faith is to trust the Lord's will and His love to be best and to submit ourselves to it. And I hope that everyone that's listening to this will join me in making a fresh commitment to the Lord that even when my prayers aren't being answered the way I would expect them to be, that I will still trust the Lord and still trust His love to be best And submit myself to him even though I don't understand. And I love this where she says this is the only way to true peace. The peace that passeth all understanding. I must leave the matter there. There are a lot of times in life where matters come up and we pray. And the prayers that we prayed are not answered it seems. Or not answered the way that we would like. We've tried to muster up every last bit of faith we can, and yet it seems to do no good. And sometimes that's thing, something that we may need to leave with the Lord. Well, Miriam was still trying her best to be of service, even though she was in a place of suffering and weariness and sickness. She found an outlet in writing. She might not be able to get up and stand before a crowd and preach the gospel like she had in her healthy years. She might not be able to travel all over the world like her her uh, fellow train the fellow officers in training that she had studied with and worked with. She might not be able to have those opportunities yet. She could still reach people through her writing. So Miriam, she wrote poetry about suffering. She wrote a book about why she was a salvationist. And she wrote a a book with quotations from her beloved grandfather, William Booth. And she wrote a series of articles for the war cry on the subject of holiness. And she wrote countless letters to friends and family trying to encourage trying to help, trying to answer questions. She did the very best that she could with the energy and the strength that she had available. And you know, that's something else to remember. The Lord will never expect of us what we cannot do. He will never expect us to give what we don't have. We only have a limited amount of energy if you have uh, some type of an illness I myself I have uh, sleep disorder narcolepsy and I have a limited amount of energy compared to the average person and so I have to do the best I can with that energy and the Lord knows what our limitations are and some things he will give us victory over some things he will expect us to walk through 
And so there's just some things we just have to go through. And Miriam is an example of that. And yet she still did her best to find as many ways as she could to try to be of service to people. And here's what Miriam had to say on the subject. It is so much easier to be working than to be suffering, to be up and doing than to be standing still and waiting. And yet what a wonderful thought it is that our circumstances cannot in any way hinder the doing of the will of God in our lives. And I'm going to read that again. Our circumstances cannot in any way hinder the doing of the will of God in our lives. Now, it can hinder our will. (laughs) Oh, it certainly can. But it cannot hinder the will of God. What comfort, what joy in this knowledge. Doing God's work. Yes, that is a great thing. But doing God's will is even greater. Now, that is encouraging we may not be able to do a work like we could have in the past maybe age or sickness or weariness has overcome us and we can't do what we used to do but you know what we can always still do the will of God she also said we're often tempted to want a different kind of work And we sometimes feel we are so much better suited to some other post than where God has placed us. Not realizing that the vital matter for us to seek after is not so much the accomplishing of some mighty task as is the doing of God's will, that is the fulfilling of His purpose for us. In other words, doing the will of God on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, is of far more value than doing a work for God. Thank God we can do this in the small place as well as in the large, as well as behind the scenes as in the limelight, if if it be that He has placed us there. In other words, we can do the will of God Wherever we are, if we're in a sickbed, if we're hospitalized, if, if we're in a nursing home, if we're in an unhappy situation, if we're trapped by circumstances, trapped by disability, we can still do the will of God. We may be old. We can't do what we used to do. We can't think like we used to think. We can't function like we used to function. But we can still do the will of God in our daily life. And I love this. You, dear comrade, who have been feeling you were of no use or that your work was of such little importance that anyone can do it. Maybe you're shut away in an office, perhaps, where you long to be in actual contact with soul-saving work, bound to the drudgery of the kitchen or the daily duties connected with the care of little children, or even you helpless sufferer who feel only a burden to those around you, you can be doing the will of God. And if you have this testimony, then you are of as much value to Him and His great plan for salvation of the world as those who stand at the front of the battle. There came a point in Miriam's 
health that they said one more surgery was needed and they believed she would recover. Miriam was taken to a hospital and the surgery went as planned. However, the day before she was to return home, Miriam succumbed to heart failure in 1917. Now, she asked that no flowers be present at her funeral because she didn't want anyone spending money they didn't have. And she was buried with a Salvation Army flag in her sergeant's uniform next to her grandmother, Catherine Booth. Now, I hope that this this story, this testimony, touches you like it does me, encourages you like it does me. I pray that it will bless you, and I pray that it's something that will stay in your mind, that it will find a lodging place in your mind to encourage you that no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstances, you can still do the will of God and be found pleasing in His sight. Thank you for listening.